Hey, this is Pastor Nate Cook, and you're listening to Pontificating Pastors, a podcast where we lock two pastors in a room and just let them talk about anything and everything. My friend Michael Pig is a church planner in San Marcos, Texas, and I'm a traditional church pastor here in Midwest City, Oklahoma. Today on the podcast, Michael and Nate talk about the end. It's the end of the world as we know it. Do you feel fine? And we look at what it means to read the scripture with the end in mind. So we hope you'll sit back and relax and enjoy this New Year edition of Pontificating Pastors. Hey Michael, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Nate. How are you? I am doing good. It is winter wonderland here in Oklahoma City. I uh, I think we had five or six inches of snow yesterday, which is pretty unheard of for us. Really? That's that's fun. I think it's uh, sunshiny and 59 out today here in San Marcos. I don't think it is. I know it is. I can see it. Yeah, and I went on my morning walk both mornings in full snowboard gear and ski hat and coat. <laughs> Yesterday, some guy tried to pick me up and say, you need some help? And I was like, no, I'm just walking for fun. And he looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, Shelly started a uh, like a boot camp thing. And she, oh, wow. she's been getting up at 530. And, uh, God bless her. And going out to uh, our local high school. And they have a boot camp in the parking lot. Nice. Yeah. So even when it rains. We had a snow day. Oh, really? Yeah, so I stayed home yesterday afternoon, and I watched The Lord of the Rings, The Return (laughs) of the King. Really? We had watched the first two through the break, and we hadn't gotten to the last one, and nobody was around, and they were all like, you know, we were going to watch them together, and finally I was like, forget you guys, it's a snow day, Um, you guys are doing your own thing, so I'm going to watch them by myself. Yeah. Four-hour movie when you do the extended edition. Oh, really? A four-hour movie? you got to pack a lunch. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. I, I was watching, uh, just, uh, we had some guests at the house, and we had the television on, and we watched a little, uh, The Fellowship of the Ring. And, yes. Uh, and so, and, I, and you know the scene when they're on top of that little pedestal out in the middle of nowhere, and it's a... It's a kind of a shrine or something or an old fort yes. or whatever it is. And they, they light the fire and then the the, yeah. the bad guys come and see them doing that. The spies first fly over and then the, yeah. the bad guys come and then, on yeah. the top of the, the mount. I should know the name of that mount. The de- I should, Frodo gets yeah. stabbed. Yeah, on something top. I forget. Yeah. But... Um, and Weathertop, I think. Weathertop, yeah. And then, Weathertop, there we go. And then uh, the Nazgul come and... and yeah, I wasn't going to use their proper names because I don't want to reveal too much of my dorkiness. How nerdy yeah, we yeah, are! Yeah, so um, <laughs> that's okay. But they come, and I was watching as uh, uh, the king, who is Aragorn, who is at the time you just know him as you know the, the Dunedain Ranger from the north. <laughs> you just know the ranger, and so but he starts fighting off the Nazgul, and like part of me says, who is this ranger that could fight off the Nazgul? But because right. I know that he is actually the king. I think this is the only person who could protect them. Like he is, he's the king. Right. He's the one who is yeah. supposed to defeat them, right? 
in, in, in all. Dude, we could talk about this movie for the whole time. <laughs> but it's interesting how you how whenever you know the end of the story, it changes the way you view the middle of the story. Yeah. Yeah. Man, are we going to talk about eschatology today? Because <laughs> that's kind of what I was thinking. I don't know, dude. That I I think that's such a huge thing. Um, yeah, because I yeah reading with the end in mind changes the way we would read all of Scripture. And man, so many people think that the Bible's about the earth getting blown up in some kind of Armageddon, thanks to Tim LaHaye, no offense, but <laughs> yeah, his his fiction books became like like extra biblical resources. Oh, yeah, they were, for they became doctrine, right? Yeah, almost almost <laughs> canonized those yeah, suckers. Yeah, we did. <laughs> and that that picture of the end of the world then means that if it's all going to blow up anyway, there's so many implications there. It's just like, well, it doesn't matter how we treat the earth. It doesn't matter how we live on the earth. Um, oh, yeah. It's all about getting whisked away to heaven somewhere uh, versus the idea that is in Revelation that we see that, you know, right. behold, I make all things new. Right. Like I was thinking the other day um, that if a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day, then we're only on Tuesday. <laughs> I, mean, so, I don't know how long, you know, maybe God said, well, I'm going to give it a week, you know, a whole week. And, and yeah, I don't know. Well, and the other thing is I use that word eschatology, but I just any of our listeners that don't use words like eschatology, it just means the end stuff, like how it all ends. Yeah, The heat death of and, the universe uh, or whatever. Yeah, I, I've been reading a book by Brian Zahn that I recommend to just about anybody. There's a couple parts of it. I, I You know, like every book, I, I hope people know this. When, when we read people, it's like there's some things I'm like, yes. And there's, there's other things I'm, like, I'm not, yeah, so, sure I'm not so sure about that. I'm not so sure about that. I don't know if I'd go that far, but it's okay to disagree with people, I think. Sure. Um, and then, but in his book, he deals a lot with Revelation and how a, a bad reading of the end has really corrupted our whole understanding of the rest of Scripture. And, and he talks especially about this idea of the the Lion of Judah that triumphs is not, you know, the the warring one. Although Lord of the Rings kind of gives that image too, so maybe maybe there's an issue there. But it's <laughs> sure. it's the it's the slaughtered lamb. Sure. Um, and, and so you know that big Revelation five, mm-hmm. or there's that scene where who is worthy to open the scroll? And oh yeah. It's no one can be found, and it's the slaughtered lamb. And he even talks about even when the horse comes and the white horse and, and Jesus is riding the white horse that he's there is blood stain there um, and it's not the blood of his enemies as much as the blood of the cross and he talks about the thing that's piercing is not not Jesus with like some kind of weapon but it, it you know it's the word of God and, yeah. and so anyway um, yeah it's, there's so much it's there. metaphorical I, it's interesting to see how we within that context you know the whole lion and the lamb we we tend to uh, you know, sing sing lots of songs about uh, how who can stand against us and those yeah. kind of things. Uh, when it's the the lamb that was slaughtered that that brings right. salvation, and so it's such a difficult metaphor because uh, you know we we, we don't want to hear no, that. No, we don't want to hear. It. Or if we sing it, we we talk about it as though he did some kind of magic trick there. Yeah, that, that was his alone to do. 
And that, so he was slaughtered, but it really is he's going to conquer like every other right, conqueror, like right. Caesar and like everybody since. Where, but if we're going to follow him, we're going to follow him as soldiers with swords rather than as lambs to be slaughtered. Yeah, and, and Peter found out about that when he tried to cut Malchus' ear off. Oh, yeah. About what it meant to be a soldier with a sword. Yeah. Those who live by the sword will die by, by the sword. sword. Put but, that down. Put that down, Peter. You know, uh, there's a there's this sense that we're we're always wanting to win and but we're so glad we we love the idea that Jesus kind of lost in order to win it for us but right but, yeah but then but then we don't understand it to be his disciple that was his instruction is go make disciples well right. if you're making a disciple of Jesus a disciple of Jesus understands that that we are to be lambs for the slaughter and that's what to lay down our lives yeah that's what yeah. highlights evil Right, it highlight it, it exposes evil for what it was. It exposes right. wickedness for what it is. When the innocent, yeah. when the innocent lay down their lives, you know, I'm just thinking of, and I'm going to spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter. <laughs> I watched both of those over break. That's a lot of movie watching. Yeah. Let me oh, just yeah. tell you. Oh yeah. But um, it's it's interesting. I was thinking about this just yesterday. How in in both of those big trilogy movies, I know Tolkien kind of had some faith in the background and all that, but um, but there is a, a necessity for someone to lay down their life. Well, it's in every story. I mean, you do The Matrix. Yeah. You talk about The Matrix. You talk about every big trilogy. You know, uh, uh, somehow, you know, we the Star Wars story became all an, a redemption story. You know, we right, did, yeah. every story becomes about somebody. I, I'm wondering in Avengers, well, yeah, in even Avengers Endgame, yeah, Avengers Endgame, who's going to have to lay down their life? You know, is it Captain well, America? I, is it you know who's going to lay down their life there? Well, we don't really. Our ego doesn't like to hear that because it means in order to really, I mean, to find real life, we have to lose it, like Jesus says, and that love ultimately, if love is ultimately the truest thing in the universe. Love ultimately is always sacrificial. Sure. Like, yeah. Yeah. There's no other love other than suffering love mm-hmm. because you're looking out for the other. Right. So I, I think if we could really get that point that, yeah. that what Christ calls us to is ultimately love, which ultimately looks a lot like laying down your life sure. for the sake of other it people. Makes that, uh, it makes that story in the New Testament in Acts about Simon wanting to buy the gift the the oh yeah, yeah I remember Simon wanted to buy the gift and they were so offended yeah let's we're, co-opt it yeah we're so offended by the idea that you would buy the gift you can't buy the gift the gift comes to you the gift is to be yeah. serving it's supposed to serve the kingdom it's not supposed to be self-serving and we get all offended by that but then when we pray we probably are praying in a lot of ways oh God you're so great because we're trying to flatter him and butter him up so that then we can ask him for what we want you know I mean. We do, we do this kind of thing. Well, and also, if God's on our side and God is this, the white horse one. Sure. <laughs> then we're going to win. Yeah. And we'd love to win. We, we want to win. and That's where yeah. my competitive nature betrays my theological. <laughs> Man. Oh, yeah. I was watching Texas football and like this week, you know, they had a victory and I'm going crazy and I'm like, dude, I am uber competitive. I play games with my family and I want to win. Mm-hmm. Like. 
And it's like there's no talk of laying down anything at that point. Yes, it's. I went to a basketball game at Texas State last night and uh, watched. Did you? Yeah, I watched Mason. Did you get to see Mason? Mason Harrell got in the game several Was he times. Hooping? He's a, he did a good job. He took a charge in a real important momentum change exchange, and uh, he just he played good defense. He had a lot Sweet. of energy. He could fight. He can fight out of a press. He's incredible when he that when, dude is amazing when he has to fight out of a. a, a, a a hard press. He just, I'm amazed at how he finds space to make a good pass out of those kind of situations. Yeah. But anyway, he played. For a good those game. of you who don't know, Mason played with my boys at Carl Albert. Now is at Texas State, and I'm going to make a trip down there to come see him play before this season's over. So that may be pretty quick here. Yeah, you may have to yeah. get on the horse. I'm looking forward to it. You can stay at the Pig Hotel. But I might bring uh, one of your former students. Uh, Pastor Brent Green. Hey, you can so. bring Brent down here anytime. I love that guy. So anyway, you're at the game. So, I mean, it's just funny, though, to watch people that you've seen in other settings. And, you know, like, like me, like you've been in a meeting with them, you know, like school officials right. or people like that. And you've been in a meeting with them and you've seen them act very dignified and, you know, hold it together yes. and and deal with very tense situations without raising their voice or, you know, just matter of fact and deal with it in, in very polite and, and, you know, just well-mannered ways. And then you see them at a basketball game and they act like a lunatic when there's a questionable foul. They're like screaming. This is me. <laughs> this is my wife. Is that how they, oh, you, I've been there. My wife. I've seen you guys. I've seen you guys talk yeah. to the refs. I thought sometimes, uh-oh, um, we are going to get us kicked out. Uh, you thought yeah. that my sanctification was in question? Oh, well, no. From time to time? No, I just don't worry I, about that. I've I think, thought that before about myself. I think people act passionately when they're put in passionate situations. And yeah. and it's why they put themselves in those situations is because maybe there's some inhibitions that are free to be released in this scenario that aren't free to be released in other scenarios. So I don't I'm know. usually pretty inhibited if you've been around me much. <laughs> are you Are you now? <laughs> Yeah, no, I think no, I think no, our yeah. our listeners have probably heard you say some things that they were like, I some can't believe them, he said that. Matter of fact, some of them realize that I I don't have any inhibitions, and I don't I don't know I don't want to see myself ever drunk. I'll just say that because <laughs> it's probably not a safe thing. We've I know we've had some waiters at Chili's and stuff that thought we were all hammered, and we're just having a good time. Oh yeah, it's just like oh yeah, yeah. Guaranteed. There's no way. Uh, yeah. There's no way these people can have this much fun without a little alcoholic lubrication, but yeah. that's not true for us. We were. <laughs> I think you meant have a good time. social lubrication. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that meant. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm just gonna move on. All right. No, but I I do think this idea and getting back to where we started, the end, really colors all of that understanding because um, we definitely want the lion of Judah and we're not so sure about the slaughtered lamb and uh, ultimately though it seems like where this whole thing is moving in, in my pictures is is in uh, dwelling with God which which means relationship which yeah. means laying down your life well because sure you can't be in a relationship unless you lay down some rights and some responsibilities and think about the rights that Jesus laid down just to be in relationship with us sure like, I mean, that coming to earth, right. we just celebrate all well, this. Well, that question then becomes, did Jesus know he was going to die on the cross? You know, and... Eventually he did. Uh, yeah, it became obvious because <laughs> he started predicting it several times, you know. Yeah. His, they're they're going to... The, the Son of Man will be lifted up, right? 
I mean, when you take on Rome, but without the sword, yeah. when you take on Rome with, with love and with uh, caring for people <laughs> yeah. and challenging their... Oh, you challenge their the emperor. legitimacy. Yeah. 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 When, you, when you say, uh, you know, when people start following you and saying Jesus is Lord instead of Caesar is Lord. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You run into some things. There's going to be some death. So if he knew that... See, I, I watched this movie called The Arrival. Have you seen this movie? No, I'm terrible. We never watch the same movies. Well, no, we don't, because you're always watching like Talladega Nights and stuff like that. No, I do not. <laughs> the I don't. I watch. Yeah, I watch more mainstream movies. You watch probably more well, like off the wall. Maggie things. wants to be a, pat- a speech pathologist, right? So that movie when what it, is the arrival about? Well, it's about language, um, and it's about communicating. You need to work on your language. Communicating with aliens. Have right? a problem with cussing? And so, yes, oh, okay. no. It's communicating with aliens, um, and uh, it's such a crazy movie. But they reveal their language to this woman, and she um, the aliens do. Uh-huh, and she's a okay. she's a so she's a communicator, and she's a she studies she's a linguist, um, and she teaches at a university. And the army calls her in to communicate with these aliens because she's one of the best, you know, and whatever. And uh, and then you see. That as she learns their language, she begins to think the way they think. It it alters her consciousness. Well, all of their all of their sentence structure is in a circle. Like their language right. is a circle, and um, and the gap in the circle is an opportunity for the next person to speak. Right. Gotcha. So I fill the circle with my answer. Right. Here's the question, or here's the statement, and here's your, con- you know, you can make your contribution. I'm not sure exactly. They don't go into it real deep, but as you're watching it, you sort of infer some things, and you realize that time for them is not linear because of their gotcha. language. Uh, they don't view time in a linear fashion, and because she's learning it, she doesn't view time in a linear fashion, so she can't distinguish between her mind predicting the future and memories right? right and it gets all jumbled and it's really this crazy thing but the question of the show is if you know the end and the end is not easy or the end is very right. difficult is gut I was hope you were getting to a point heartbreaking somewhere. would you still embark on the journey oh wow you know, yeah kind of gimli's gimli's statement in lord of the rings uh, a low uh, a low chance of survival. We're outmatched. Yeah. The certainty odds, of death. Certainty of death. What That's are we, never stopped us before. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. What, what are, are we, we waiting for? for? Yeah. And yeah. so, like, I was saying, so else. Jesus, you know, he puts down his riches and glory, and knowing the end, you know, and that's the question: Did he know the end? At some point, whether he knew the end in a, you know, in a godlike fashion you know like we want to say god knows the beginning to the end I, i'm not right. sure I, there's some part of me how that much wants of that to, yeah, did jesus lay aside lay right? aside yeah because at some point it seems like god limited his foreknowledge so that we could have free will i don't know how that works i don't know that i want to go into that another exactly. podcast yeah. <laughs> but uh, that'd be a great one but something you know god doesn't we think when God knows the future, but if God knows the future, well, I'm, that would be me going into it. But if God knows the future, then the future is, and how could it ever change, you know? Because what God knows right. is true, right? Apparently, I'm not so sure. So does God limit yeah. God's self? Yeah, somehow. Yeah. So anyway, all of those questions come into, into play here. But Jesus, if he knew that it was going to happen, even if he didn't know in some uh, supernatural way, 
he at least was an intelligent enough human being to infer it. And so he proceeded. Right. And there's this wonderful line in Luke, and I, I think it's the, the, the Living Bible translates it this way. He turned his face as a flint and went on yes. towards Jerusalem. You know, yes. And that's just such a... I, he knew what was going to happen, but he turned his face as a flint, a single purpose, a focus, and went anyway. You know, and that's got to be our, you know, our eschatological dilemma uh, becomes if I, if I worship the Lamb and I want to be the disciple of the Lamb, then that means at some point I'm going to have to make sacrifice. And probably death. And, and of some sort. Yeah, I'm going to die. And so, Paul whether it's that, die yeah. to your, your own like powers and the, the structures that you have that keep your ego in check, like build yourself up, or whether it's literal death. And ultimately, we all go that route. I mean, you're not going to get away from it unless Jesus comes back. No. Have you, uh, have so you seen what? Fences? The movie Fences? No. It's a movie with Denzel Washington. I don't watch any movies you've seen. It's a, it's a movie with Denzel Washington where he's building a fence in the backyard, and he's a he's this mean father um, to his teenage boy, and he makes him help him build the fence. And it's just this tense drama the whole time. And um, But he picks up the baseball bat, and he threatens death. Uh, he says, come on, death, I'm ready for you. You know, it's just... Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things I think I've noticed is that we tend to project our value systems onto the end that we read in Scripture. So we've already talked about one. We all want power. We want to conquer. So we, we, we put that on, well, it has to be the Lion of Judah. It has to be this one who just overpowers everyone and takes over because that's the kind of king we want, right? Right. And then we also do the same with um, with with what heaven's going to be like. You know, I've got a mansion over the hilltop. So we, we take our projection of, I want a bigger and better now, and we just put it a little further off into the distance. Yeah. So this week I preached on John 15, 1 through 8, which is the vine and the branches. And oh, uh-huh. talked about those dwelling with God, right? right? So if you abide in me, that word is, is like meno in Greek, which is also the word that's in... In my father's house are many dwelling places, mm-hmm. uh, but we translate it. Well, King James translated mansions, and and messed us all up because we. It's like okay, we want the end to look like. So if we just if we just you know act humble and meek here, then we'll get the stuff we really want. We'll get to conquer the world <laughs> yes. and we'll get a big yes. fat crib. Yes, someday. if you can sit still and be quiet, I will buy you ice cream when we are done. Exactly, uh, and this is so. This is where we read the end. And, and I, I tell my people all the time, I don't think when you get to heaven, you don't even care what size your mansion is. I mean, it's a dwelling place. It's dwelling with God. If you've had that foretaste here, if we've had that foretaste here, there's nothing better than that. You can't build a big enough house mm-hmm. um, to, to experience what no. it is to dwell with God. Oh, right. So. If you become humble, right? Which is what Jesus, yep. what Christ does, is, you know, in Philippians tells us he, he humbled himself even to death, death on a cross, you know. Um, that hu- humility then becomes this, uh, an eschatology unto itself, right? So, what do the end times look like? Well, um, I, I become 
if I become humble, then I become less concerned with what the end looks like. Right. Well, and you're you know, also I, doing that same thing. You're dying to yourself. Yeah. I mean, you're just, you're literally faith. You're, you're, you're giving away look more and more of yourself so that others and God mm-hmm. can take center stage. I mean, isn't that what humility is? Yeah. Just refusing to build yourself up and allowing others yeah. well, it, and God. Humility is making room for others. Do not think more highly yeah. of yourself than you ought to. But right. in, in all things, you know, elevate the other. Which humility is a t- tricky thing because as soon as you think you've got it, you probably have oh, wandered God. into the place of not having yeah. it because you're like, I'm so humble, no. look at me. You almost have to think you're arrogant <laughs> to be humble, right? Like, oh, I'm still arrogant. <laughs> Right. It, yeah, you almost have to <laughs> still see those flaws at least. Yeah. I don't know if you think you're arrogant, maybe, maybe yeah. just, yeah, maybe so. But then so, there's, yeah, a, but then I, there's a narcissism to that where you're always trying to, when it becomes about yourself, when humility becomes right. about you, then it's a problem. Humility is yeah. actually about the other, right? It's about. I keep going back to this silence thing that I'm trying to practice, but one of the things is just. You just let go of every thought, the good thoughts, the bad thoughts, so that your thoughts don't even matter, and you just sit in the presence of God, mm-hmm. so that it is God's presence that you're seeking. Yeah. That's a really difficult thing to do for sure. me. I mean, sure, you're at- as soon as yeah. I sit down, I, I figure out everything I need to do at church in about five minutes. I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to do this. Oh, then, yeah, man. Those I start, thoughts just like... Psh. I need to make a list right now. And when yeah. I need to be being silent... I my mind then is freed from some of the distractions to think about the things that I should have prioritized first that I've been pro- procrastinating, and so yeah. I've got to practice solitude and silence long enough um, and well enough that I can get to the part where I actually come face to face with me and I can say to the Holy Spirit, "Can you sanct? Will you sanctify? Not can you, but will you sanctify? Um, and how? And often enough? Yeah." Because uh-huh. the more, Frequency. if you can't mm-hmm. get it daily, yeah. it seems like, you know, you go a few days mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you got all this clutter again. But Yeah, sanctify think, the meditations of my heart. How do you ask that yeah. question? How do you sanctify the meditations of my heart? Like, and how did I get out of the way enough for that to happen? Right. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, God is faithful and patient and loving and kind. And I think that's a whole other thing with our eschatology is what does that God who comes wiping everything out really look like to us i mean not that's kind of a that's kind of the god that we we picture you know who's like i'm gonna get you if you step out of line and in the end i'm gonna wipe everybody (laughs) out who's out of line get them all yeah no whereas i i think more of the the idea of the wrath of god and hell and things like that we can get into that later yeah i think the scripture though i think we put ourselves there a lot yeah like like we we distant we get to a point where we have closed out God so that we can't receive love. Mm-hmm. I love C.S. Lewis mm-hmm. thinks that that basically the experience of God to a person who can't receive love is hell, and yeah. to a person who's open to love right. is heaven. Yeah, I mean it's just it's a powerful thought. It really is. We, we yeah, because then but then you're dealing with epistemological things like what can we know and what can we not know and how do we right how do we explore that you know because if you say that we can't know these things uh you know then that that's very difficult for me because i think that the holy spirit can reveal all of these things to us and i think scripture certainly tells us that you know yeah i just think i think the god that we tend to picture coming back at the end is more like a movie like armageddon or something than it is like the god that we see in jesus sometimes and so 
it does taint the way we think about God. We think, oh, I better not step out of line. <laughs> and, uh, and then we don't necessarily sure. want to approach that God in prayer like we've been talking sure. about in silence. So, yeah, yeah, man, uh, there's a lot of good stuff there. We got a little more time. Um, any other thoughts you have about, about in things and the way they shape the way we read? Uh, the beginning yeah, most of the, of the time, or the... most of the time, I've just gotten to a place in life where I'm not trying to think about the end, um, because I find that thinking about the end, uh, m- you know, then makes me it kind of takes my faith and makes it uh, uh, projects it into the future, and in the future, I imagine that uh, that everything is better. And that just doesn't make. Oh, I tend to do that. That too. doesn't make room for sacrifice. It doesn't, you know. If I don't appreciate where I'm standing, then I don't appreciate that the sacrifices that I'm being asked to make right then and there, and I totally miss the opportunity to help the to to be a, a door, a gate, as it were, for the kingdom to break into somebody's life, or right. you know, my community's life. So, I do think though that there has to be a sense when we know the end is that Christ is making all things new, and that's already begun. Sure. There, ha- there is a sense of peace that comes with that, where, as I think we were talking about before we actually got on air, where we're not just constantly offended or we're not just constantly thinking that we have to fix the world. Like, like oh, we yeah. realize that we're yeah. just part of something that's much bigger. Mm-hmm. And so the person that God puts in front of us or the the nudge on the shoulder that God gives us to step out somewhere. Yeah. Those are the things we're responsible for. Sure. But we're not responsible for the entire globe. And I think there's there's hope in that mm-hmm. because a lot of Christians live thinking the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Yeah. There's not really a lot of hope for the future. Yeah, Jesus' response to hell in a handbasket theology is over my dead body. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Amen. Yeah. <laughs> so he, and and then he raises from the dead. So he literally doesn't, he doesn't stay dead, yeah. you know. Um, so right. he obviously doesn't think. It. And so redemption and restoration are are continuing on. Um, and when we have that that outraged, offended at everything mentality, we have a tendency to to become very arrogant, and we make no room for people, assuming that I have arrived and they have not. I know the truth, and they do not. And that's a very dangerous kind of mentality because then there's really no room for any eschatology in that whatsoever. There's no room for God in any of that. My arrogance has grown to a level that now I am the one, when I get outraged and I am offended, right? And then I'm not even offended for myself. I'm offended for a bunch of other people who are too insolent to protect themselves, you know? So uh, yeah. like, I'm like, that's offending everybody. I'm like, holy cow, man, our arrogance is just out of control when we are outraged about every moment of every day. Right. And I think so. I think there's both and in in looking at the end and saying Christ is making all things new. There's the end of and I'm called to participate. I need to be part of this. But there's also the sense of peace that it doesn't all depend on me. Yeah. Because because many people act as though it does all depend on them. And then our, our good deeds even become out of our own selfishness and then they become acts that make us Mm -hmm. look good and even the things we're doing to try to help partner with god in the restoration of his kingdom are born out of our own 
desire to be the social sure. justice warrior. Yeah, or whatever you want to sure. I'm judging so. everybody so that you'll so that you'll look at me as an example, right? So right, it, yeah. It, it's flip flopped, and there's judgment on both ends of this spectrum, and and we we use it as a tool. We wield it as a way of gaining something for ourselves, and and you can we can deny that, and we can talk about altruism and all those things. But I told you before, there's no altruism in in what we're doing. Uh, most of the time, we're we're just there's always some angle that that human beings are working until you know until when, we're sanctified by by the until the meditations of our heart get sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We're always going to struggle with that. Yeah. So you know, we we both are big fans of Shane Claiborne, and one of the most honest moments I think I've seen it was a Christianity Today article, and I don't have the month or year in front of me, but Shane Claiborne, right when he kind of came out with that Book of Common Prayer. Uh huh. And he said, he said this line, and it stuck with me forever. We set out to save the entire world, and we realized we couldn't even save ourselves. <laughs> and then they begin to turn to prayer in their, uh-huh. their little common houses yeah. and things because yeah. they realize that, that, you know, mm. knowing that Christ will redeem the world, um, that is, that's an invitation to join in. But if we're not in Christ, we're just doing good works in our own strength. And, sure. And it becomes this, uh, you know, we just become like an organization. Any, I mean, lots of organizations do good in the world, but, but we're not necessarily doing it for the kingdom of God anymore. But if, you're, it more for if you don't have a plan, then you're planning to fail. You know, right. we say, and we say those kind of things, and we think that we're being helpful because... I mean, yeah, you ought to try. You ought to make an effort. You ought to, you ought to strategize. You ought to do all those things, and you ought to go to work every day, right? Right. But ultimately, you know, I heard one guy, they asked him, they said, uh, well, what's your strategy for love? And he said, my strategy for love is to collapse completely upon Jesus, collapse yes. completely upon Christ. You know, so, I mean, ultimately, right. that is my, my first and foremost strategy is to collapse completely upon Christ. Right. And then, then we try to practice um, good works. We try to practice, um, you know, all kinds of uh, penance, if you will, not really penance. but <laughs> Sometimes uh, it is. Yeah. Altruism. But we try to do all those things. But, but the, a lot of times what those things reveal to us is that our motives, if we're, if we're really seeking God, that our motives aren't pure. Yeah. And that we need God to still purify mm-hmm. us because even in our good deeds— and in our bad deeds, we realized that there's still a lot of me trying to run the run the show, and so yeah, man, I think I think you're right. Reading from the be- end first helps us see the beginning. I think we see this God who wants to be with His people, wants you know the slaughtered lamb who who gives Himself for people, and ultimately will restore everything and. Um, hopefully, we can be part of that. Sure. Well, the, I know that's why yeah. you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. Well, I mean we. God could be doing whatever the heck God wants to do. And so apparently this is what he wants to do. Is redeem, right. <laughs> is redeem us, right? Like And he wants to join in yeah. and partner with us. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. I, I think probably he would he it might make him happier if he didn't have to redeem us if we could just be in relationship, you know, um because that seems to be what the plan was from the beginning just to walk with us in the cool of the evening and enjoy right. the company, but um, you know, that didn't happen, but he's in it for the long haul. Apparently, he's in it to the end yeah. to save us, yeah. to, to redeem us, to redeem the relationship that we once had with him. One of my favorite images um, is the painting of the three visitors. Have you seen that? The three visitors of Genesis 18, where 
Abram, you know, meets and it oh, says uh-huh. he, he encounters the Lord, but it's three people. And right. so many people have thought this is the Trinity. At least, <laughs> sure. at least we read back into it kind well, of like yeah. it's the Trinity. Mm-hmm. And so there's this painting of the three visitors and it's got like a, you know, in the middle of the table, there's, there's this loaf of bread, I think it is, or the cup. I can't remember. Um, but, but it's supposed to be Father, Son, Holy Spirit kind of resembled there. And then in the bottom of it, there's a little square. And in every replica of this painting, there's been this square. And I was reading, I think it was Richard Rohr that said, Oh, yeah. There's a legend yeah. that that square was a mirror. Yeah. So you could look at yourself and realize that you've been given an invitation yeah. uh, into the Trinity, into the circle dance, if you will. You, you've been asked to join in. And right. man, uh, you know, ultimately, every thing we do then flows out of that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really where I'm at this new year. Um, I, I wrote on my Facebook, you know, may our disciplines be not an obligation, but an invitation. Yes, um, absolutely. So that as we dwell with God, then we become those people who are being redeemed. Mm-hmm. And then we have a, a, a better chance of actually doing the things God has called us to do. Sure, like, sure. It makes you, it, it satisfies more to know that um, I thought I was on this path to accomplish this thing. But really, I was on. God put me on that path to accomplish this thing because of the ninety-seven things that I would accomplish on the way. You right. know, I mean, yeah. And 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 then you then you stop missing out on the day-to-day things that you think are small, that we think are insignificant, that we don't see the value in, and realize that uh, that that every breath comes from God, and yeah. that, and then and then if every breath comes from God and every breath can be sanctified then the journey really is uh, is the beautiful part of this. And so the destination is, uh, it's not irrelevant, but it's, it certainly doesn't dictate to us, uh, you know, how we're going to, to uh, proceed. Like, I, if I know it's going to be hard, Jesus knew there was going to be a cross, but he turned his face as a flint. I think that's yeah. where we're invited to do is, will you... Will you embark on this journey, even if you know that it's not going to be the easiest thing you've ever done? And even our transformation, because ultimately there's a death to self there. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. No. Um, one of the things, you know, that I, I think is, uh, you know, what you were talking about, that journey. I think for most people, it's much easier to talk about big issues than to simply just love the person in front of you. Yeah. Because the person in front of me, I'm going to have to sacrifice to love. Oh, yeah. I can go on social media and I can talk about all the problems in the world Mm -hmm. all day long and never have to do a daggum thing about it. Right. And we see that a lot in our world. I read a story story one time about a a young uh, activist and he was so mad at his dad because his dad just went to his high-rise office building and he was... You know, he just sat in his office all day, and so he went and he was going to have lunch with his dad after having been around the world on these active on this activist adventure. You know, and 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 you know, protesting at different places around the world, human rights issues, and and so he thinks he's all big, and he goes into his dad's office, and he walks in, and the secretary goes, "Oh, you must be your your dad's son. He go in and sit down. He's he'll be right with you. He's in a meeting. He's finishing up, and he'll meet you in there." He, his dad comes in. Oh, son, it's so good to see you. Just just a second, let me grab my stuff and we'll go and so he walks back out to the uh on the way out of the building and he's got this he said i was running the script 
of all the things I was going to say to my dad about the way he's lived his life compared to the way I've lived my life. And I'm an activist, and here you just sit in this big business office, you know. And he had all these words for him. And he said, and as we walked out, every person we passed wanted to meet me because I was my dad's son. And even when we, right. got, to the, when we got to the to the parking garage, the homeless men in the car garage wanted to meet me because I was my dad's son. And, they, and awesome. the homeless man in the garage told me stories about how when my dad comes to work and Brent has stopped to get a cup of coffee, that he also stopped to get me one. And that we sit here and we talk about you, boy. We know, we know your stories because your dad is so proud of you. And he realized that his dad, though he, ha- he said, I'd been on this activist adventure, but I didn't know the names or the stories of the people standing in the crowd next to me. And my dad had stayed put right. long enough to know these people. Yeah, being a neighbor is hard because your neighbor is not going anywhere. Right, yeah. Well, man, I uh, this has been great. Great way to start out 2019. And uh, I pray that God would help us as we, as we know that, that God is remaking all things new, that we'd be able to just love that person in front of us and be a part of it. And to uh, to allow God to transform us, even if it's painful at times. So, hey, man, have a great week, and uh, we'll right. get back together next week. Uh, I think we may have some questions next week. Um, been taking a few questions, so we might answer a question next week from a listener. Excellent. Sounds All good. All right, man. Love you. Love you too. Take care. Have a good week. All right. All right see you. Bye. Hey, thanks again for listening to Pontificating Pastors. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or Anchor or any one of the other platforms. We hope you have a great week.